Hello, everyone. It's such a blessing to be able to reach out to you, wherever it is that you're listening, from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford, and uh, it's a great blessing to be able to say hi to my church family on this Wednesday prior to Christmas, as well as to say hello to all of our brothers and sisters, saints all, who are hearing uh, this broadcast from many different places around the world. God bless all of you during these very busy days at a time that is unlike any that our world has known. And I think that can be said very clearly. You know, I know that every generation thinks that they're unique and uh, they feel like uh, nothing uh, has ever happened to any group of people ever that would compare to who they are. And, um, and I understand the efficacy of that thought. But I do say very candidly that the things that we're facing nowadays with uh, the timetable of the Lord being what it is and technology being what it is and the the world really instantaneously being connected the way it is, we've never, mankind has never seen anything like what we're facing. So, in a way, we should rejoice in that because um, God has allowed us to be born into this time frame for a specific purpose and for specific um, responsibilities. And so, it's great to be a part of that with all of you. Uh, I do want to give one announcement before we get into what the Lord put on my heart to share today. Uh, we will be broadcasting from here this coming Friday evening for a very intimate um, candlelight gathering on Christmas Eve, 6 o'clock Dallas time. It will be up for a little while on archive. I'm not going to keep it up there forever, but um, we would invite you to join with us if you feel so led. And uh, those of you who will be and particularly in other countries where it's 6 o'clock here will be in the early morning hours or later morning hours. Um, enjoy your family gathering on Christmas Day. So that's this coming Friday, and uh, may, God, may God bless you in that. I know, after having pastored for many, many years, that there's a very great limit on what any church can do uh, during the Christmas holiday. <laughs> People just have their minds on other things. They have uh, themselves invested in a lot of uh, activities and responsibilities that really preoccupy your, your mind and your time. And um, even though throughout December, over the past 20 or plus years, We've, we've been able to study many wonderful things from the Word, hidden truths that are such a blessing to us to have, have, to have received from the Lord. 
And we've been able to, to do, through his guidance, a lot of benevolent things during this time frame. So I'm not saying that we don't accomplish anything during December, but I do know that it would be ludicrous for me to try to launch some kind of a in-depth, meat-laden teaching during this time, because many of you <laughs> are hearing this well after the fact, and some folks aren't hearing it at all. But I did feel, as I prayed this morning, some some very specific things that I felt that the Father wanted us to share together. And so, let's just talk about them. The first thing is, the Christmas story itself. Now, if you were to enter into a scholastic environment, into academia, in a, in a uh, religious setting, you're going to be very disappointed by what you read because most of the things that are written about the Gospels in particular are more critical, more disbelieving than you might imagine. And if you, if you read about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John through the eye of most modern commentators and um, theologians, you're going to find great, great measures of doubt about the validity of these accounts. For instance, and I'm not saying anything revolutionary here, but you, you will find that most people say that Mark, the Gospel of Mark, was the initial writing. And that Matthew borrowed heavily from Mark as well as from stories that were classified in modern uh discourse as Q documents. You see, you think Q or QAnon is something that is a new phenomenon. It has to do with behind-the-scenes studies of, of what goes on politically. But in theological discussions, Q, coming from the German word quell, uh, we know that term, those of you who ever watched the Hunger Games, the quarter quell, um, that means a gathering in, in that language, a gathering. And so they say that Matthew didn't really have too many original thoughts, whoever wrote Matthew. Some say that the book of Matthew being geared toward the Jews, they stuck Matthew's name on there just so that he could be um, uh, a kind of a, a qualifier since he was a tax collector and he could speak about things, and people say, oh, Matthew wrote that. Well, we, we, we must believe it then. There are others who think that there was a Hebrew Bible, a Hebrew gospel, that somehow disappeared. See, all these things are theories. Then when Luke comes along, they say that he, he they just say he was an evangelist. Uh, he may or may not have existed. And he just basically swallowed what Mark said. He swallowed the Q documents, and then 
he took the um, what they say is the L documents. You can look this up for yourself. It's really fascinating. If these folks would just pay as much attention to what's actually written in these books as they do to their fanciful theories, they could apply that belief, this that disbelief, into a real measure of belief. But Luke, they say, um, really did kind of like a synopsis work. And there are others who say that Luke got a lot of his uh, his writing from interviewing people like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and he traveled with Paul, so he gathered up a lot of um, of the common beliefs and tried to do them accurately. I think there's a lot of truth in, in a lot of those things. But then you come to John, and I think this is true as well, you know, they say that there was a Johannine community of people that lived at about 100 A.D., and they devoted themselves to preserving what John had written, what John had taught. So they took great pains to preserve the Gospel of John, which was probably compiled by them, probably with his assistance, the three epistles of John, the revelation of John, and they put this all together. And I'm very grateful for that. Very, very grateful for that, you know. And there are those who study what uh, the book of John says. Um, and, uh, you know, there are seven signs. There are seven I am's. And um, John, you know, this this group who followed the teachings of John's and, and were devoted to Jesus they came against the Gnostics who were totally against what Jesus really stood for and against what the gospel said. And that's why there's so many uh, uh, crossings of swords with Gnostic belief, because John stood against that. But with all that said, when you look at this, it it you can understand what these uh, critical thinking experts are saying, but it, in essence, I, w- I would say this very clearly, their main objective is to say that you can't really trust what's written in the Bible. They just don't believe. They just don't believe. And so they try to explain how these writings came about, and in some ways they're trying to do a a real work of investigation, but its end result is largely to discredit the Bible. So, uh, with that said, uh, if you were to look at the book of Matthew, for instance, you don't really find, (laughs) uh, regarding the Christmas story, you don't find much of anything here. You know, I'm turning the rustling of the leaves right now, which you should be doing as well. I had this all up on my computer, but I thought I'm just going to go old school and I'm going to I'm going to look at what the scripture says. So Matthew um, speaks about, for instance, 118, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That's it. 
And then there's a big part, which I'm grateful for, where Joseph is processing what he should do, and um, the the angel appears to him, and there's a reference to the book of Isaiah regarding Emmanuel, and um, um, and then in verse 25, he knew her not till she'd brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, there came wise men. That's it about the birth of Jesus. Mark, who is supposedly the the main source for all of the Gospels in the viewpoint of these folks, doesn't say anything really about the birth of Jesus. It just speaks about, picks up with John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord, verse 3 of chapter 1. And so we don't really have much there. And if you if you look at the book of John, <laughs> remember now, I mean, and I believe that these words are anointed. I believe that they are inspired by the Spirit. I don't mean to be taking anything away from what we all believe about inerrancy and and um, inspiration. This is from God, and I believe this. And those, you know, even when you talk about the Mark and Matthew and Luke and the Q and the L and, and the Johannine groups, that's only the beginning of doubt. Because then you talk about how uh, these documents are just in error and how that the source documents don't agree with one another and and you, you it, it's just biblical criticism and it really is spoken right when it calls it criticism it is just basically designed to invalidate the word of god which then you come rolling into the progressives today and they just swallow all of that up and they add all these other types on the one hand they say that you can't trust the the holy scriptures but then they bring in all these other gospels the gospel of john the gospel of mary the gospel of jesus wife the gospel of thomas and all of those catholic catholicized um uh, apocalyptic works and and it's just a quagmire but I believe that fully that the Spirit preserved these words for us, and um, but when you come to the Book of John, you're you're talking about revelation in the Spirit, and uh, you basically basically don't have <laughs> anything at all about the birth of Jesus. So we're very thankful for Luke, who who. Um, who gives us basically the majority of what we know about the birth of Christ, the actual birth. But even with that, you don't have much. You, you, oh, for instance, let's look at Luke. I mean, let's look at Luke um, chapter 2. Now, this is really made famous in our society by the Charlie Brown Christmas special when 
They've got the little forlorn-looking tree up there, and they're arguing about on the stage, and they're, the, the Peanuts characters are arguing about, you know, what the real birth is, uh, the, the story of Christmas, and Linus gets up there, and he quotes. And I, we were so grateful for that when we first saw that on CBS because here was the Bible being spoken at a time where people were saying that God was dead. There wasn't any validity to anything in the Word of God. And um, here's this little cartoon character, this little boy, quoting from the book of Luke. Wow, that was that was amazing. How wonderful that was. But my point today is that um, in Luke 2, it says, verse 6, While they were in Bethlehem, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. And then the story goes to the shepherds on the hillside and the angels coming, and there's this great triumphant declaration, and the hill is beaming with light, and uh, the shepherds come running after that to find the child, and they verify that there in this manger is the Christ child. Now we also... No, the story of the Magi that come. And we have the story of um, Simeon and Anna and wonderful things. Now, let's just talk here, kids. And I understand, I think I understand why the Spirit preserved this intimate thing. But, and this is... When I say this, I am not in any way criticizing what God gave us. We're just talking here. Wouldn't you have liked to have known a little bit more about what happened there? The most phenomenal thing that ever happened in the history of the worlds. Jesus being born. I mean, wh- what did, what's the description of this crutch, this manger? What, what is the description of this? When the baby was born, did Joseph, was he the midwife? Or did the place light up? You know, did, did, was there a voice from heaven that said, this is my son? I mean, we had that voice at the baptism in the Jordan. I mean, did was there any shaking of the earth when this baby was born? What, what, what did they do? Was there anybody there to help them? We don't know any of that. We, we Not from the gospel accounts. And I'm sure that there's a reason for this, but, you know, you can, you can let your, your imagination go just a little bit in a positive way and think, 
there with all the other things we know from what the scripture says about how Jesus ministered and God the Father's view of this, there had to be something amazing that occurred. But we don't know. You know, even, you know, Luke's, I believe that Luke interviewed Mary. Uh, you, you have this long Magnificat in Luke 1 when Mary comes to Elizabeth's house. And you have, um, as soon as her voice is heard, the baby in, which was John the Baptist, in the womb of Elizabeth leaps. And then the first things Mary says in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. Her thinking and her emotions were expanding upon what God had said, what God was doing, and what he was going to do. And my spirit, my spirit, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. This word rejoiced, as we know, means to leap in the air. So, I don't know what that meant. I, I, you know, the baby, John the Baptist, leaped. But here you have Mary saying that her spirit, her spirit in that ma'a place, leaped at that moment. But that's all we hear about. And then she goes down through um, its wonderful verses. One of my favorite verses is where it speaks about his arm moves in the kratos, and, and it goes on and on, and Mary abode with her about three months and then returned to her own house. This That's a wonderful telling. Obviously, Mary, years later when Luke came and was talking, this had to be at least probably close to 40 years later. Here is this telling. She remembered all that. But we don't have anything. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. But she show one telling them. <laughs> Look at that. Luke 2, after the birth of Jesus, verse 19, Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. What the shepherds did, what happened in the manger, what she may have felt when they came into that city and couldn't find a place to stay. She didn't tell anything about those things. I would have loved. We will know this one day. And God has obviously shielded all this from us, probably for a reason. I don't know what it is. But for a reason, well, I say probably, there has to be a divine reason for it. But I, I just think that's phenomenal. So here we are at Christmas, and we know that Christ was, uh, the, you know, the Apostle Creeds put these things together. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin. Mary was. 
She gave birth in this humble setting. Um, his name is Jesus. Um, we know that. Joseph was addressed by Gabriel. We know the backstory of Zechariah and Elizabeth. We got great details on that. But the actual birth? It happened. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Now, the Magi didn't show up at the manger. We know that. We've studied about that. Even though when you drive past some uh, nativity scenes, you see them all there. I mean, they're, they're there. There's little cherub angels floating around. There's donkeys and camels and sheep. And you've got the, the kings, you know, uh, they're they're there, frankincense, myrrh, gold. But according to the Bible record, which is the only record that matters, we don't really know anything other than the crucial fact that it happened the way God prophesied and that it actually occurred in this way. But there's no telling about the moment the birth came. Who was there to serve this young mother? What, you know, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. You know, I remember uh, with great fondness, you know, in our travels, so often, so often we would be in Belgium in late November going into December and then you know if you want if American used to fly nonstop to Dallas out of Bel Brussels they don't do that anymore um, and so you had to either go to Paris or to um, London to connect on a flight to get or you could take the long flight down to uh, Madrid from there and then come to Dallas. But the easiest hop, skip, and a jump is just to, it's, it's really easier to get to London than it is to go through the, the shenanigans of Paris. And basically, we would just determine what's the cheapest. What's the cheapest and the most effective? And so that was the course. So one time we came rolling into London in a freezing cold and uh, walking down through the city to see the Christmas lights and everything, there was this big production um, out in front of where the the uh, the National Gallery of Art is, and it was one of the Anglican churches that was doing the blessing of the crutch, and they had their choir there, and they had people speaking things, reading from various scriptural texts and the whole thing was in the early part of the Christmas narrative they were going to dedicate and bless that place where the baby would be laid really lovely thing freezing cold but my point is I would really like to to know in that most miraculous of things what happened in that manger? Well, again, we got 
great detail about the shepherds on the hillside and a choir, not a choir, a, an army of angels coming and they're making proclamation. The hill lights up and they're told to go and see this great thing that happened. But it's left to our imagination to think of the wonderful things that the Heavenly Father did in that little hovel, that humble place where Jesus was born. Isn't that interesting? But the point remains that he was born and that we thank God forevermore for the miracle of that. And what we know is more than enough and we cherish the scriptural accounts. But even with those four, Matthew speaks of it, Mark doesn't, John doesn't, Luke does. That's amazing to me. <laughs> it just is amazing. Now, naysayers nay, would say, oh, see, it's just proof. You, you whip this thing into... Um, much ado about nothing. Even your own scriptures don't talk about it, and we don't trust them. Well, the scriptures do talk about it. Um, I like the fact that Mary did tell what happened when she came into Elizabeth and Zacharias's house. I see what she says here in Luke 2.19, Mary keeping all these things and pondering them in, in, in her heart. And even years later, she wasn't telling. Probably, and I don't know this, this is not scriptural, but I'm just thinking, just us kids talking here, probably God or an angel on behalf of God told them what happens here, you don't really talk about. Yes, the virgin birth. Yes, the way Joseph was counseled. Yes, the fact that Jesus was born. Yes, that God preserved him from Herod. Yes, that God supplied them through the gifts of the Magi. Yes, the fulfilling of the prophecies. Yes, fleeing to Egypt under the direction and covering of the Spirit, and then coming back after Herod died for Jesus to begin what he's supposed to be doing um, as, a, as a young man. We have all that. We're grateful for that. That's what we need. But I have to believe that there was something so triumphant that occurred there. The birth was all that matters. Don't get me wrong. But the, the events surrounding that, the visitation of the Spirit. Listen, if a voice from heaven came at the baptism and it was so thunderously loud, if the hill lights up for the shepherds and the angels proclaim this triumphantly, if the Magi are instructed to make that arduous long journey and follow a star, There had to be something incredible 
that God preserved even to this day. When Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Man, was born. Now, lest somebody say, well, you didn't really preach today. You know, that's always a big thing for me. I don't think anybody's really saying that anymore. Um, my dad used to always talk about whether the preacher actually spoke from the scripture and and whether he actually yelled a little bit because that was preaching for those folks in the hills. I always heard that. I always thought it was funny. I never laughed, but I always thought, Dad, you know what? I don't I don't really like people yelling at me. <laughs> I don't like it in church. I don't like it anywhere. I kind of tune it out. I want to be taught. I want I want something to feed my spirit. And that's what's important to me. But there's something that has to do with Judaism that really speaks to me, both in regard to John the Baptist and to our Lord Jesus. And you have this business of after eight days, at eight days, these baby boys were to be circumcised. We've studied circumcision in the spiritual applications through the scripture and how important it is that people recognize that it's a cutting away of fleshly things so that we might be more sensitive to God in the place of our creativity. You know, John, Joshua being led to Gilgal, the place of the cutting, the place of the cutting in the circle, and all the men circumcised there in in the promised land prior to Jericho. And we talk about how important that is. The Bible speaks about those who are stiff-necked, unwilling to move. It's because they don't have their hearts circumcised. And talk about how Jesus was crucified at Golgotha, the place of the skull, which was really Gilgal, the place where humanity was pared back. The sins and the flesh was, was pared back so that the ultimate miracle of all, the crucifixion and the resurrection, could be known. So we've studied this in greater detail than, than what I've said here. But when John was was circumcised it, you can read it the the people in the town these the old lady well stricken Elizabeth gives birth and all the people are there and they've got their opinions name the child after Zacharias and he's shaking his head no and he writes on his tablet or whatever it was he was writing on his name shall be called John. As soon as he did that, his mouth was freed from Gabriel's restriction, and he began to speak, and everybody was amazed. But it was at that point of the, the circumcision that the name was given. 
same with Jesus. On the eighth day, in Luke 2, verse 21, um, for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus. The name was given in association with the circumcision. And throughout our walk as saints, we've seen that various dimensions of our identity, our divinely divinely purposed identity, were made clearer, clearer um, during times where we humble ourselves and came before the Lord. You know, this past year, the early part of last year, and even in the the months in the year prior, we entered into fasting, and we were asking God to clarify who we were supposed to be in him in these days. It wasn't that we jettisoned what we have been, because there's a continuity in this. It's it's a, you know, you're faithful in the small things, you're made ruler over many. There is a progression. And, um, and God did further clarify our calling through that. But both with John and Jesus, they didn't have their names put forward officially. Officially. Now, Gabriel had told Zacharias, and Gabriel had spoken to Joseph and Mary, the the family union, what the names were supposed to be. So these were directly from God, but they were not officially spoken or put forward until circumcision. Now, you can just throw this all off to Levitical um, regulations. And I respect the fact that you do that. But with everything that I've said about what little we have about the actual events, what we do have is that the names of the friend of the bridegroom and the name of our Savior was not put forward officially until circumcision. What's that mean for us? You know, we've we've been in a restricted time frame. And we've been really letting a lot of things be cut away from us. Our expectations, what the way we thought, honestly so, things were going to be, uh, what we thought God was going to do. In our obedience, the steps we took to plan and to and to begin to pursue, God shut all that down. And there's been a lot of introspection and reflection, and there's been a lot of waiting on the Lord. In in a lot of ways, it's just been one big circumcision. It just really has. Because we're entering into a time that is extremely crucial for the timetable of the Lord. I mean, what our calling is as saints, what we're to be in the people of, in regard to the people of God, 
it's coming to a head in alignment with God's timetable for all of humanity. Do we realize that? You know, I mentioned yesterday uh, on Saints Radio about this Swedish company that is now putting forward this right. They, they're saying it's a rice-sized uh, device of some sort that could be inserted in people that would verify your vaccination status. And boy, the European Union is, woo, they're high and happy about that. You know, we in America, we don't like the restrictions and the mandates because it's taking away freedoms. And we don't like the fact that um, people could be losing their jobs or their, their, the, their joie de vivre, their ability to pursue what makes them happy to, to go out and to fellowship and to go to malls and go to the store. and We don't like those restrictions. And for Christians, we see these as the foothills leading to what the Scripture prophesies about the beast, the false prophet, and the Antichrist, the mark of the beast. So it's very clear that that's being aligned. I'm not saying that this in itself is that. But I'm saying that the world's being prepared for it. And the world's system is experimenting and trial and erroring how to make what we read uh, in the eschatological scriptures to actually come about. And so, we recognize that why would God bring us through these weird days? Why would he cause us all to be, in so many ways, isolated? Um, what, what is this? To me, I think it's for the purpose of more clearly refining what our name is to be before God, what our identity is as saints. And so on the eighth day, the beginning of the new, you go through the seven, you, you wait for the timing of God. Seven indicates the, the true, in, in the spectrum of light, it's the, the white light. Seven speaks about the fulfillment. Seven speaks about perfection. Seven speaks about... Um, God accomplishing one thing, but eight speaks about entering into the next thing, the new thing. And we're entering in to something that the prophets foretold. And the name that God has given us is being ready to be presented you know, in the, in the book of Revelation, it speaks about the white stone and a name that's given only to the people that are receiving it. I, I think that we as saints, we as sons, us as individually, uh, individual entities before God, 
what we're called to be in these end times is being honed. And that name that God would call us is going to be presented. And as a people, that name that's written upon us is being presented, but we're being prepared for that. And we're up to the cusp of that being revealed. I, I believe that. This is God's ways. This, this, to me, in this Christmas story, I mean, how about what, what more did you need with John? I mean, here he is. You know, it's a miracle baby. He's leaping in wombs. His dad, a priest, is dumb, and then he speaks. Everybody is magnifying. They're astonished. What more needed to be done? Well, that circumcision needed to be complete. And the same with our Lord Jesus. So, I think that prophetically, these principles are being are being aligned for us to walk through. And I, I think that this unprecedented event through the, the pandemic has really been a sign and the effects upon us, we need to ask ourselves, Father, through this time, did I partner with you in the ways that you really have wanted? And if not, what further do I need to do to align myself? Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm the person that's talking here. I don't know what's going on in you. I mean, if you were in front of me, I could prophesy into you, into that crypto place, into that secret place, which the writing, Paul's writings to the Corinthians says you're supposed to do. The secrets of the heart manifested. But at this point, for you as saints, you should be big enough, boys and girls, that you have a relationship with God. And there's some things like with Mary... She's pondering these things in her heart. She's holding them. At this point, you don't need me to come and say, thus says the Lord to you, my brother. That may come. But right now, it's God in you. Ask him, what if there's, is there anything further in me? What are the things you need me to submit to you? What do I need to lay down? What does your spirit need to purge from me? I started talking about this in my life a couple of years ago, in this time of transition. And I had said that the enemy was coming into our nation and in the world, and everybody has a gripe, everybody has some kind of bitterness and and it's inflaming things. The prince of the power of the air was doing this. And that the spirit of the Lord was saying to us, we needed to come before him, so that before God, so that we could be cleansed. 
just like the principle of Holy Communion, that bitter sop, to get those areas that we would react and be vulnerable to the enemy spirit in these days, that that we would be cleansed before God of those things. Remember those days? And I would say that the Spirit of the Lord was bringing things to my memory that I didn't even think were issues. Things that, in fairness, I really didn't fail. I didn't sin. When in in specific things about how we as a people had been abused and and done wrong, and my objective was just just to get through them with the people and to believe God for his protection and his provision and his deliverance, which he did. But then God would take me back to those times and I'd think, I was too busy trying to not screw up. I was too busy trying to listen to you to get our calling and our people through. And God said, yeah, but now we're going to come back and we're going to look at maybe what subliminally subliminally you've felt. You hid, rightfully so, under my covering. But now I want to talk to you about what happened there. And I want to, I want you to confront that, and I want you to surrender your rights to me. And my goodness, things that I didn't even know I was feeling in deeper levels came out before the Lord, and God had to cut those away. My feelings of, well, just being a human. I know those things happen in you. And and then, most recently, I've got to be careful what I say here, but God was bringing me through all of the, the studies in the scriptures of the unknown people. We mentioned a number of them here today. Simeon, Anna, Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph. None of them were household names. But those were the ones God chose. And then he brought me to the various women in the scripture who had prophetic promises about their lineage those ones, those women that were barren and how it seemed that everybody else around them were having children and they were mocking these women. And I looked at them and I thought, yeah, even though I'm not a woman and I'm not there, I have to admit that the promises you've given to us, uh, I see a lot of other Groups that are flourishing. I mean, these are just scriptures. And and the Bible wants us to, we need to be washed as a vessel, cleansed. It'd be like David, search me. Create in me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. Search me, O God, try my ways. That's a circumcision of the heart. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is these are all important. But I think many of you are thinking 
We've been at this a long time. Um, we're not getting any younger. Boy, the same could be said of Abraham, Sarah, Zechariah, Elizabeth, Anna, Simeon. God knows what he's doing. Don't give up. I mean, really, everything that you had when God first called you, you still have. The, the release of diversities of tongues, the overcoming presence of God, the, the choice and wonderful things that he showed in his word, the meat of his word, uh, the, the things we've learned as intercessors about spending time at the right hand of God and praying and on our faces before him and what goes on in the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven and how we partner with the angels and we stand with God's cross in the place where the heavenly father has called us to serve and we welcome the, 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 the purchase of that hastemi point and the, the, the opening of the doors and gates and spending time there in our own Bethel, that house of Elohim and the ladder that connects the ladder of Elohim and the, the, the plan of God, Yahweh, at the top looking down. We have all of that. It may not be as exciting to you as it was when it was first given, but we have that. And it's vital for us to be faithful in the things God has given. Some have been as Demas. I don't want to do this anymore. There's a brighter path for me. This present world, I'm going to take my agape and I'm going to give it there. We've got to get past the, the angst of that having happened. And it affected all of us. But those kinds of things happen to every person who God used mightily. And that's a point of circumcision too. So God, I think at this Christmas time where we thank him, for sending his son. What what a wonderful, wonderful gift from our Father. We need to be saying, Lord, what else is there in me that as you're ready to break through in for the night is coming when no man can work. We are, we're in one of those moments in the vineyard, the 11th hour as it were, where there is a call out to those that are idle in the histemi. Are we in that point? Help us to be ready. Help me to be ready. This is what you should be asking God. And submit yourself to the, to the moving of the Spirit of God. That God needs for us to experience. So that we can go forward in the new day. 
thank you for walking in this pathway with your saints family thank you for being willing to say yes to God and and saying it thank you for doing all to stand and continuing to stand I speak blessing over you and your house I speak blessing over your family I speak blessing over your calling and your your gifts and what God has purposed you to be. I speak blessing over every place where God's people are calling unto him as intercessors. And I speak blessing over this new year. May God use us and may he be glorified. And may we not come short in any measure of grace for its for the the glory of our heavenly father and we must be that good and faithful servant i want to be that don't you so god bless you merry christmas we'll look forward to Reaching out to you again on Friday evening, 6 o'clock Dallas time. And it won't be a long service. It's just an intimate family gathering. I, I know there's a lot of folks that won't be able to be here, but that's the beauty of cameras and the live stream. We're, we're doing this as an outreach for our saints family. So we pray that it blesses you. God bless you in every way. Merry Christmas and goodbye.